Dialed by Science CEOs is hosted by me, Megan Martis. And me, Io Aikby. We are young CEOs and founders of ventures in the clothing industry. I am the founder of Pingyo, a premium clothing care company. And I'm the founder of Clovo, a natural undergarment company. With our shared backgrounds in science and engineering, we take a unique lens to talk about sustainability, representation, and innovation. To do this, we bring on incredible change makers in the clothing industry to grow awareness and positive change. Welcome back to the Styled by Science CEOs podcast. Today, our change maker is a passionate undergraduate studying fashion technology and an aspiring fashion sustainability professional. Welcome, Ariel, to the podcast. Hey, Ariel, how are you doing? Hi, I'm so thankful to be here. I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing good. It's Friday, Friday. <laughs> so I am planning on having burgers tonight for dinner. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm more looking forward to this podcast, of course. Um, yeah. Megan, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm excited for the weekend to get some sun. Like it was a really gloomy week. So really thankful it's going to be sunny. So yeah, yeah. Never, never anything bad when it comes to sun. But Adia, we're super excited to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. We met through my mentor and your aunt and had our first meeting, I want to say a month ago or a couple of weeks ago. And I remember my first time with you, I was like, oh my gosh, this young woman is like brilliant, passionate. I'm, I was so impressed. I was like, how old are you? This is not the truth. Like, it was it was so surprising i was like what in the world how do you know what you want to do with your life like how do you, how can you articulate everything so well to say the least i was very impressed by you and when we were making uh this podcast and thinking about guests you were top of mind and so i'm so glad that it's finally finally full circle to have you on the podcast um so to start we'd love to learn a little bit more about you tell us a little bit more about your passion for where did that begin? Um, and yeah, your middle school and high school experiences. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm so excited. This is awesome. I, my journey with fashion was a, was a little bit early on. Um, it doesn't start early on for most people, but I was surrounded since I was born by people in design, art, and really sustainability fields around me. My dad is an architect and he has been in love with design before I even existed. So I always grew up looking at design magazines. I couldn't read at the time. So I was just looking at these interiors and materials and words that I could not even pronounce if I tried. I also had an aunt, my mother's sister, who was in the fashion industry herself. She went to FIT, she studied abroad in Italy. She had her own brand for a long time. And growing up, she would make my dresses. So seeing her learn how to sew, her studio, her mannequins, holding her pins. It was really just awe-inspiring for me. And, you know, as a kid, you think fashion is how you dress, how you look, and it was all about the glitter and the glam. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I started dressing myself at a young age and then looking at my aunt, I was like, hey, I can make what I have on. I, I could do this, right? I could be a designer. That'd be awesome. So me being a very independent and driven kid in middle school, I think I was in 
fifth or sixth grade, I started looking online for fashion summer programs. And I had a sketchbook and I wanted to learn how to do that properly. And thank God I live right next to a fashion capital, New York City. I started taking courses at FIT. Wow. Um, like summer courses, not like, you know. Um, but still, wow, that's so impressive. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short there, wow. I think I was maybe in seventh, eighth grade and I did that for maybe three or four years. Um, and I took classes in everything I could find. And it was fashion forecasting, styling, journalism. That was my last course that I did, um, I think two or three years ago. But it was a whole different environment. And I would have to lay it out for my parents. I'd be like, this is my birthday present. You're gonna pay for this summer program and it's all gonna be great. And being involved in those studio classes with like-minded kids, like walking into a room and everybody has their own personal sense of style and this person has a blog and this person's been modeling. And it was a world that I wanted to be a part of. And at the same time, you know, in middle school, seventh and eighth grade, I was about 12 years old. I also discovered what it meant to be a vegan, right? So you have this idea of conservation, of ethical animal rights, of sustainability in a way that represented through resource conservation. You know, when you're eating a pound of chicken compared to a pound of any vegetable, the chicken is automatically more resource intensive because you're sustaining something to be alive in order for you to kill it, then process it, then eat it, right? And I discovered this, I think, with my first iPad, you know, the first generation iPads that came out on YouTube. And it was this girl who was eating all of these plants. And she was talking about how sustainable it was to eat that way. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, you eat, if you're privileged enough, three times a day, every day for your entire life, how much resources and waste are you using? Are you creating? And if you can use these little tr tricks and tips every day of not choosing those animal products, what, what are you saving? Essentially the world, right? So me, 12 years old, being a vegan straight off the bat, I was like, I'm saving the world. And I felt this so strongly that I carried it into my idea of fashion and my past, my passion, right? I was kind of like, how can I save the world, right? Being a vegan designer. And then that kind of translated more into the area of sustainability and where I am now. So sustainability and fashion are never apart in my brain. From that moment, it was kind of, they're inseparable and that's how it is. And that's how I think it should be in the future. And I think a lot of people are realizing this and the movement now is, is incredible. Like we see, what was it? Fashion Revolution's new index that they just came out with, what, within a week ago? The, the index listing over 250 companies on their sustainability, on their transparency. And I couldn't be happier to be a part of this movement and just sharing this with you guys here. Wow, that is so incredible. I love how you were inspired not only from like your dad being an architect, but also your aunt being in the fashion world. And really at such a young age, like took 
the advantage of these classes and got inspired by other people and became a vegan like wow your story is incredible and you're still so young <laughs> I'm like, sounds Thank like you're 30 years old by now but here you are <laughs> oh my gosh so Wait, you're, you're... how old are you I'm 18 I'm about to be 19 <laughs> in a couple <of> weeks <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy and you're, you're a college student right yep I'm second year now. That's crazy. And it's three years program, so you're almost done. Um, kind of on a similar talk at, topic of sustainable fashion, I guess, I'm curious to know through all the classes that you've taken, not only in middle school, but also in college, what does like the future of sustainable fashion look like or fashion in general? Like, is there hope that fashion will become better? Absolutely. I, I think it's if you're working in sustainability, it's part of your job to have that optimism. It's part of your job to have that vision or else, you know, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. um, I also went to high school for fashion. Forgot to mention that. I applied and was accepted to a county magnet school that offered fashion design and merchandising. It was, it was previously a vocational school where you didn't have to go to college. They give you certification to start working, but they got rid of that certification process for some of the majors. And my fashion teacher always told me, whenever people get up in the morning, there's always one thing that everybody does. They always put on clothes. You never leave the house without clothes unless, you know, something's wrong. Um, and whenever, as long as people have clothing on their backs, we are in business. Fashion is a trillion dollar industry. Its impacts are so big that they're overlooked. You think of fashion as, oh, she dresses nice or this person dresses nice. They take pride in what they look like. Um, it's, it's global, it's wide, it's impactful. And that it doesn't have to even be optimism. It's what we need to do. I was speaking to a research mentor of mine. Um, she works at Cornell University and she was saying how we shouldn't call it sustainable fashion, it's fashion. It's our responsibility. And I, I was telling you this earlier, there's a lot of initiative in the industry now. There's lots of people working in the space from all different backgrounds, they're coming in together. And it's awesome to see all of this drive and this motivation to move towards sustainability. Yet, I feel where I can come into this space and work towards it is kind of unifying it. Everybody's definition of sustainability is different everyone's using different audits and certifications and that's why we have things like audit exhaustion. So I think moving into the future, yes, that optimism and that responsibility, but consolidating it and making it into more of a unified and scientific reality. I love that. And I definitely agree with what your mentor said. I, I always tell people too that sustainable fashion it's going to become the new normal like it's going to be required rather than just a category mm -hmm. so I totally agree with you um another side question I guess I'm curious to know your opinion on like natural fibers versus recycled fibers if you have one <laughs> this is so often talked about in my classes <laughs> awesome okay I'm so excited this is one of my favorite topics so yeah. I'm so excited <laughs> This is, it can often be a common misconception. And I, you know, thought this early on. I was like, oh, you hear the word natural and you see the, the marketing, right? The, the picture of the 
flowering fields and the, the girl in the flowy dress and how it's all linen and beautiful. When in reality, things like cotton are so resource intensive. And that, that's the thing you have to look at, I think the details or the, spe the, the specs of it, what we call it. How much water does it take to produce? And where is it produced? Is it an arable land? Is it in a country where there is no water and you have to use all the irrigation you can get from the local inhabitants drinking water? Like, what was it? The Aral Sea? So I forgot what sea it was, but I wrote about this on my final exam. It used to be a, a local area for drinking water and for just water to use, whether that was using for the bath or for businesses, that is nearly gone. It was the largest, one of the largest inland bodies of water in the world. And now it's gone all due to cotton production. So when you're looking at recycled versus natural, they obviously have each of their pros and cons like RPET or recycled polyester and cotton and linen and things like that. You have to look deeper into the production, it's pre-production and where it goes from it being a textile, what is it being used for as well? Is it used for the home industries? Is it used for building? Is it used for the food industry even? Because cotton, you know, it's a seed fiber. You can also use it for um, cooking oil, which I didn't know until I took these college classes. So this natural versus synthetics or recycled debate is, a little bit biased, but I think with proper research, you can make any argument. Wow, super, super interesting. And I think like the right information is empowering. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely, definitely very interesting. And kind of in that same tune and wavelength, what uh, is fashion technology? And tell us a little bit more about that in your current degree program. So looking for degree programs um, in the United States where I'm from when I was born and raised, there's a lot of fashion design and merchandising. It's either or. I was looking at universities and even things like FIT. There's not much undergraduate programs that focuses on innovation systemically and sustainability. So what fashion technology does is it's an actually integral part of the fashion industry that not many know about. We technologists are the people that take the product from concept to physical reality. And how we do that is by either specializing in one part of the fashion supply chain, like being a yarn spinning specialist or a textile dyeing specialist in many different processes, or in the most part, we speak the language of each part of the supply chain. So we know how to work with the design team. We know how to work and get that product idea onto a spec sheet and give that to the manufacturers. We know how to quality assess. We know how to pick apart and find spots in the value chain where we can innovate and make that better. You know, time and resource constraints are getting incredibly low now. So technologists are faced with this challenge to get the product as quick as possible as correct as possible on the first try with as little resources as possible. And now you have other things like the retail side and the end of life. You know, we don't just get the products out of the manufacturer's hands. We kind of push it along as well. 
And we go back to the design and the buying team and say, where is this product going? How can we innovate logistics or transportation to get it there or to implement the best map we can? There's also the idea of end of life, which um, is increasingly popular now with textile waste and recycled um, textiles like Megan was asking about. And that is a huge part of a lot of the design classes I'm taking now. How are you designing this product? Are you taking into account its impact after it leaves your brain? You know, after you sketch this idea, after you sell this idea to whoever you need to, what is, what is the end of life? What is it going to be in 20 years and 30 years? You know, if you're walking past a landfill and you're a designer and you see at the top of the pile, one of the things you designed, how would that make you feel? You know, it's, it's a lot of questions and it's a lot of innovation and it's a lot of picking apart. You can be either a very general technologist, you can, you know, innovate at many different parts or you can specialize and that's where it gets really technical and difficult. <laughs> Is that where you're looking at going more of the technical route? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> nope. So more general. Yeah, I want to get my hands dirty in as many parts as I can. That's awesome. You know, before you told me about fashion technology, I did not know about it. And so to know that there's a field that focuses on everything that you mentioned is amazing and also really encouraging because it seems like that's something that's needed. Like that role within the entire supply chain and also thinking about end of life too, like you mentioned. And um, a lot of the things you mentioned, I didn't actually didn't think about. And before I had Hengio and I started thinking about clothes and like where they come from and started getting more into supply chain and thinking more about like the timeless movement. Um, and there's just like so much in it. And it seems like that role is just amazing. And so that's amazing that you're, you know, getting to do that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Io just said. I think that like when you were talking right now, I just was like so passionate about everything you were saying. I was like, oh my gosh, I want this job. Like literally this sounds like the best job ever. So I'm like currently going through like a life cycle analysis with my own company and just like really understanding like in our next round of manufacturing is like how do we do better and like looking at the end of life especially. Um, we do make our tights from tensile mostly, which is that renewable wood fiber that's actually made renewably with power, powered by renewable energy in a closed loop production cycle. So definitely is a lot better than cotton, which yeah. is nice because there is definitely some very big downsides to cotton, as you mentioned. Um, and something that's, that's come up kind of in this life cycle analysis is the idea of like still using these natural fibers and for the end of life to really create circular fashion. Is there, do you think there's a future in being able to compost these natural materials and keep whatever synthetics are left since like obviously there's not enough innovation for spandex yet to really be completely biodegraded. Do you think there's a way to break down the natural part and reuse these synthetics in like a circular way? Or what is your opinion on like just recycling uh, these imperfect fabrics? I love how you said imperfect. No, nothing's perfect in fashion. I love that. Um, and it's so interesting. I was looking on your website, actually, and looking at the closed loop process. And I enjoy when companies take the time to get into the nitty gritty, because you see a lot of, you know, just like it's circular and there's nothing else. I do agree that 
having biodegradable fabrics are a viable way of producing some aspects of sustainability where and recycling textiles where I'm concerned for is the durability. If it's biodegradable, right? And I just spoke about this with a professor of mine. If you have avocado leather, great, sounds natural, sounds fine. Once you get that avocado leather in rain or water or excessive heat, as you know, humans, we go outside, we have a life, the wear and tear of that is detrimental to the textile, thus decreasing its durability and its potential to stay in your wardrobe for a long time, which I think is the ultimate goal in designing anything. So with also recycling synthetics, the quality decreases every single time you recycle something. So what really are we recycling it for? You know, after a certain use, it's like, okay, this polyester is nearly dead. What can we do with it now? So they're bigger questions and I have my reserves concerns for durability and also the recycling process and making these natural biodegradable fibers also cause for a bit more strain in manufacturing. What are you treating these fibers with that makes it biodegradable? Or what are you not treating them with? You know, are there things that are more chemical intensive? Is recycling mechanically versus chemically, what's, what's the better option? And I was exploring this in a recent paper on polyester and debating mechanical versus chemical. They each have their pros and cons. One of them decreases quality faster. One the other doesn't, but the other is more expensive. So there's lots of different scopes you can take. And I think it depends on the company. And that's my final opinion at this moment. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing it. I definitely agree that the idea of like completely natural clothing just like physically doesn't make sense due to like how things naturally biodegrade. So I definitely agree that there might never be like a holy, like a, a future where it's everything is natural, just hoping to get to the point where we can deal with those synthetics better. Yeah. Yeah. I also am like super interested in like this, this thrifting uh, world that I feel like is growing and um, is, is interesting. Like certain brands, I don't know if you've heard of the real, real have this model where you you bring in your clothes and then someone can buy it. It's that circular model. So outside of the actual materials and the sustainability around them and the durability, what do you think about those, those like new up and coming models um, and apps that are trying to solve sustainability in new and fresh ways? I honestly love them. You know, I grew up in a family that had to work for what they had. And when I started dressing myself, I started saving my own money and seeing what I could buy for myself, right? So that often led me to these secondhand websites. And I use Poshmark, which is an American, like kind of like a thread up, but it's a little more risky in the sense where you can't return the product and you're offering and you're bargaining. It's kind of like eBay. I think that they're offering another route for life, another chance, and that is great. And I think I've been scanning um, business of fashion and I'm subscribed to their emails and it's proving to be a large market and it's booming right now. A lot of people wanna get their hands involved in this secondhand retail market. And I think it is absolutely valuable because take a wedding dress, for example, right? You have rent the runway for like event dresses. 
you go to a wedding and you wear this one dress, whether you're the bride, whether you're the guest, bridesmaid even, you never wear it again. Or you're trying to find some place to wear this. And you're like, man, like, where can I go? What excuse can I make up? Who can I just marry again <laughs> to wear this? I think it's great. My other concern with it, I know there's a duality to everything. And I'm all for these secondhand websites. I love shopping. It's great. It's affordable. Where does all the stock go if you're not using it? Or where does, you know, Goodwill, for example, it receives hundreds of thousands of pounds across the country, just in America. What do they do with the rest? You know, there's only so much charity you can do. And within the developed world, I think we have a, a little bit less of a concept of where these clothes go. And there's lots of resale markets that have just been called markets everywhere in the world. You know, in, I, I was, I don't know what community it's called, but in India, I read that there was community that just had markets of previously used things and they just get shipped in from any country in the world. And that is their market. They don't have anything else. They don't have brand new things. It's just used and that's the way it is. So finding a future for these goods that we're not using is absolutely amazing. And I think it's absolutely needed. What I don't like is again, the stock, where does it go? Also, if you are advertising, buy secondhand, it's better. There's still that aspect of consumerism. Why are you buying more just because it's secondhand? Why are you buying this even though you think it's sustainable, you don't really need it? So there's that aspect of consumerism that is a huge monster in the fashion industry. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird dichotomy now that you mention it. Um, and yeah, super, super interesting that point that you mentioned of like, where else does the rest of the clothes go? Um, so that's like something that also needs to be addressed. And for you, I'm curious about the challenges that you currently see in the fashion industry. Which ones are, the, are you the most excited to tackle and learn about and to find solutions for? It's like a big behemoth, but which ones are you like most passionate about right now? I am loving and really interested in the idea of, well, first the definition of sustainability and kind of creating a unified concept. In high school, I did a qualitative meta-analysis, big word, on what sustainability or sustainable fashion meant in an academic context. And I sampled some academic journals and articles from a couple databases. And I came up with this framework that it was four central concepts. And I can't remember them off, off the top of my head, but the idea that it is multifaceted and that it is never going to be the same thing, I think that is beautiful and terrifying at the same time because others can just think sustainability is just all about including people of color in the business and that's what it is about. And that's the social dimension. Or you can have others who are saying, no, all of our textiles should be, you know, net zero and our manufacturing. I think that is a beautiful concept to tackle and to really get down to the nitty gritty. What does sustainability mean to you? That is also a challenge in the terms of making sustainable business plans. 
So your definition of sustainability translates into who you are as a business and how you run as a business. There's that. The second thing is supply chain transparency. I remember mentioning to you blockchain technology in one of our previous meetings. And it was um, the idea that at every step of the supply chain, you have a bit of data and using that data to create like a map, let's say. Um, I know one of the companies, it's called Open Apparel Registry. They're doing an online embedded map of different companies contributing who their suppliers are and placing them on a map. And I think it is awesome that we're seeing that now and that sense of transparency and traceability and really discovering whether blockchain is fit for that job or whether it's as simple as releasing the location of who your suppliers are. So there's those two central ideas that I wanna tackle. And also the larger concept I was just explaining to Megan of unification. What certifications are we using? Are we using the ISOs? Are we using organic cotton certifications? Like what audits are we creating and what are we certifying ourselves upon? Yeah. Really, really great points. I, I love talking about blockchain and fashion. I personally think that it would be super cool to even go back down to, especially if it's like textiles, go back down to the artisan that made it. I think that'd be so cool just to learn about the person that made your product, even past textiles, like even anything really, it would just be such another way to like connect with what you're wearing and everything. And yeah, again, with the certifications, I, I love that if they could be centralized and be made affordable for all companies, because I think it's super important to know what you're buying and just having every company be able to afford it. So it's very transparent. Yeah, transparency is powerful. Um, and like on a, on a customer consumer level, what do you see as a way for them to make a positive impact uh, in this space or even just be aware, stay engaged and be a part of the, the change? It all starts with your personal habits. You don't have to be the most fly person in the world and get all the Gucci's and the Supremes and the, that, that's not what this is about. This is about what are you using? What do you have? What do you already have? And what do you need? It's, it's kind of like how I started with veganism. What I did personally in my own day, day-to-day -day habits, that's what I felt and that's what is making the change. You know, I read a quote and I wrote about this in a previous essay. We don't need a hundred full-time vegans. We need a million part-time vegans who are making those little changes. So we need a million part-time sustainable fashion people, meaning we're only buying what we need. We're assessing what we already have. Just because it's secondhand doesn't mean you go buy five of them in every color, you know? Um, and really taking into account what you're using and how you're using them. You know, are you air drying your clothing? Are you making sure to take care of your delicates? Are you making sure to not go crazy on Black Friday just because it's Black Friday? You know, and the aspect of the consumer having the power, right? There's power in the dollar. As bad as inflation is, your money means more than you think, you know? Think twice before paying for something. Why are you buying it? What, 
voice, what message are you telling that company? You know, if you don't like H&M, yet you're out with your girlfriends, you're walking past, something looks cute, you think, why not? Yet, you still have that, you know, thought in the back of your mind, oh, H&M is, it's been under fire recently, I don't know, and I won't comment on the company specifically, but you're paying $5 for that shirt. That $5 tells that organization, hey, you know, we should keep creating these shirts that people love and get them as quick as possible, no matter the social and environmental costs. Your purchases have power and really take into account what you need, what you have. And that's the best thing. It's not about buying what's better. It's about what you have. Yeah. I, I totally agree that purchasing power is so important to recognize and understand where your dollar is going, especially when it's affecting people and the environment and our future. Uh, and I also just want to say, I don't know about you, Io, but I want a copy of these essays <laughs> that you keep talking about. <laughs> yes, I am team want a copy of these essays too. Um, even just like listening to you, I'm just learning so much and it makes me curious to learn more. Uh, and I, I love what you mentioned about there doesn't, doesn't need to be full-time vegans. There can be a whole bunch of more part-time vegans. And it really is like a testament that you don't have to do everything or know everything. You can be imperfect with it, but you can make these tiny micro changes that make an impact on the larger scale. And so that's, it's nice because it's not, it's more empowering and less like there's a barrier to actually feeling like you can make a difference or make a change. And so um, love that you mentioned that. Yeah, it's so intimidating. Like there's so much out there. I don't know what to do half the time. <laughs> yeah, definitely feel that. <laughs> Agreed. Small steps, small steps. You'll eventually get there. I think that that really Absolutely. ties perfectly into the last question you like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast though. And you can answer this however you like. So what kind of impact would you like to make in the future? You know, going into this, this field, this space at first, I was like, I'm going to save the world. My name's going to be on something. It's going to be great. I'm going to be this huge figure. And that's great and all. And I may be, but that'd be great. At the same time, I want to just start contributing like I don't need I don't need my name on anything if I can just learn what it takes to help a business create a sustainable sustainability plan or to just integrate sustainability department into their regular design or merchandising or business department or simply speaking about these issues and getting that across that fashion isn't just you know the style aspect of the world. It's a field in need of systemic innovation. And if I can contribute towards that in small specified steps, I think I'm doing something great. You know, it doesn't have to be grand at all times. I think the biggest impact is like what Ayo said, little little steps and I leave breadcrumbs for others to follow. And that that's another thing actually, um, inspiring others to do the same. It, it doesn't have to be in fashion doesn't have to be in sustainability, although I'd love for others to <laughs> follow. But if someone, like for me, for example, I don't have all the opportunities in the world. I don't come from a family where things are handed to you. I am a woman of color. I come from a town that is not even a mile wide. 
if I can create these opportunities and learn, others can too. And that's the bigger picture. <laughs> wow. Wow. Encore. Encore. <laughs> well, I have to say, I feel like your legacy is already like being being left. I feel very inspired anytime I talk to you. We talk about these topics and um, yeah, just took away so much from this podcast today and usually like to wrap up our podcast with takeaways. Um, so Adia, I want to appreciate you so much for coming on. The biggest thing I learned from you outside of ever, like, like the entire podcast, which was just gems, was to take small steps to make the change. It doesn't have to be these grand movements because thinking about the grand movements might be intimidating. And if it's intimidating, it might be um, debilitating and might not make any change. And so just knowing that you have a lot of power and what you spend your money on, how you spend your time, and also your intentionality in trying to make it better. And the second thing is that this is a systemic problem and it requires systemic solutions. It's not going to be something that's going to be solved in a day or a year. And it's going to take a lot of collaboration to make this happen. It's going to take time, um, but it has to start somewhere, right? And I love that you mentioned like just starting to make your contributions and then eventually inspire others to continue, continue the path. And so, yeah, those are my two biggest takeaways from today. Megan? My takeaways, I definitely was going to say the first one that I said as well. You stole it from me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I think um. like definitely like the small steps and also how you mentioned like per, uh, purchasing power, like understanding what impact you're making with your money. And then I really loved when you brought up how sustainability is kind of this umbrella term that means too many things. And there's what causes the greenwashing is not understanding exactly what sustainability is. So if you could come up with a, a really great definition, I would totally appreciate it, Ariel. It would be amazing. Hopefully we'll get there. And I just want to see your name in the dictionary as the person that created this definition. So someday, hopefully. But yeah, that's that's my main takeaways. Um, before we close, is there anything that we haven't asked you that you would like to talk about or... Can I ask you guys a question? Is that allowed? Yeah, of course. Go for it. Where do you guys want to bring this impact as starters of this podcast, as people highlighting others on the similar journey? Where do you guys find that you want to make this impact? We're going to let you start. Yeah, I think personally, my passion for like fashion, especially sustainable fashion, it has come from like a scientific perspective of it, like what impacts we're making on the environment as well as the health of our bodies. So looking at like the microplastic side, which is why I'm really passionate about using natural fibers, just since these microplastics are really overwhelming our environment as well as our bodies. And then also natural fibers don't have as many harmful chemicals that our body absorbs. So I think that they're just a lot healthier since there really isn't a lot of research done on how these synthetic fibers are affecting us. We know that they affect our hormones. We know that they can contain carcinogens, but I think in 50 years, we're gonna look back and be like, holy crap, these things were giving us cancer. So that's why I really am so passionate about using natural materials, but definitely like you said, the right natural materials. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. What about, what about you, Io? 
Yeah, for me, I'm super interested and passionate about product and how products are created. And so everything supply chain manufacturing, I'm gung-ho about. Um, it's my favorite part of the business. <laughs> Don't tell the marketing department. <laughs> um, but I, as I've gone through the process of creating a product um, and just seeing the fun and impact working with supply chain partners, working with the manufacturer, and also seeing also seeing um, the downsides and the not so great stuff that happens in manufacturing. Um, that's like super interesting to me to see how can, how can we treat people well, pay people well, um, be more efficient. Like how can we create a win-win-win opportunity for customers, for businesses, and for the people that make the products. Um, and so I'm super, passionate about that area and definitely want to continue to explore that with future businesses, future projects, and also just thought leaders in the space. So that's kind of how I want to make my impact. Adiel, is there anything that we didn't ask you or do you have any thoughts? Yeah, feel free to weigh on, on what we said. This is not one-sided, <laughs> I promise. That was beautiful, guys. I This world is so full of bright young women and we need more people hearing this and coming on and pushing themselves. And I'm just grateful to be surrounded by like-minded people today. Like this is, this is what it's about. This is, this is the change in 20, 30 years. We're going to look back on this and be like, wow, we were infants. Like, like we want to look back and think we had the right idea. And then this is where we are now. And if we can continue this relationship and just promoting this idea of drive and change it's all good in my book <laughs> yeah honestly like this podcast has been so energizing bringing on people like you who have such a positive mindset and are doing real thing contributing real things to try and make this space better and so I totally 100% like attest to everything you said it's like 20, 30 years from now, we're going to see all the changes that we made and um, hopefully the positive impact that we've left. And I'm very excited about that. It starts here. It's only the beginning. With that, we want to thank you again, Ariel, for joining us on the Style by Science CEOs podcast. We took away so much from you in this episode. Um, and for our listeners, let us know what inspired you, what you learned from Ariel. And um, leave us a review, send us an email, hit us up on our DMs or our comments on Instagram. We love to hear from you. Um, and with that, we want to thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of Styled by Science CEOs. Awesome. And that's Good a job. wrap. <laughs> that was so fun. Yay, that was awesome. <laughs>